0: This is the Stay Healthy Experience uh, hosted by Robert Ferguson. That's me of course and uh the lady to my to my right, Miss uh, Barbara Chris, yes. aka BK for Burger King every once in a while, <laughs> and my man all the way from New York, Mr. Daniel Baldwin. Yes. And let me tell you, today's exciting because we all are happy that you're in the room. I mean, we have yes. the nanny of all nannies. I know. The Windy City nanny. She flew in from Chicago just for
1: us. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> what other reason would there be? No, Not that the sunshine at all is appealing here right, right, right. in Chicago. I'm thrilled to be here. We're well, so, happy to have you here. And I, I know. know we have a thousand
0: questions for you today. Okay. And we have a th- uh, thousands of questions, I'm sure, they are going to be coming in from people wanting to get your advice on things. I'll
1: only give you
2: five. You five <laughs> That's it. But
0: you look like you're, I mean, and I say this uh, out of, with, with the utmost respect. You could pass for... 18, 19, 20 right. years of age.
2: I know. See?
0: And and you're this nanny with all this knowledge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Give us the background. How did you become the nanny of all nannies?
1: Well, the nanny of all nannies. I like that. I'd like to coin that now. Yeah. Um, so really, I've always loved children. When I was 11, I started as a mother's helper, like a lot of young girls do. And that mm-hmm. was a catalyst to me becoming a babysitter and then eventually a nanny. But when I was a little girl, uh, I used to tell my mom that I wanted to go to have a baby at the hospital <laughs> and she i remember her looking like, like what does that like mean what she been watching what she's been doing <laughs> and so i was i meant that i wanted to go to the toy store and get a baby doll and, mm. or buy, buy me a baby doll so she did not all the time but when she did she did and we'd come home and i'd make birth certificates for all of my baby dolls like a crazy wow, person, i think kind of. so i just loved kids yeah. from a young age and so um when i became a nanny you know obviously years later It was a natural fit for me. I always felt that nannies or caretakers or anyone who was taking care of children in a capacity that allowed for you to be some sort Mm. of role model or have an influence on a child's life, I remember thinking, man, that is so important. That is so awesome. That's like a really heavy weight to bear on yourself to think Mm -hmm. that you have that power to influence. And I took it really seriously. So I I was so honored to have that role for 15 years.
2: And as a kid, you felt like that.
1: I I remember feeling that way probably when I was about 12 or 13, because you see how the kids start to attach to you and attract to you Mm -hmm. and use you as a confidant. And um, I remember thinking, so this is cool, this is this is special, uh, mm-hmm. and you should really honor it. Um, and that I didn't know the words back then necessarily that I'm describing it now as, but I knew that it felt important. And I think in life we all just want to feel understood and valued and loved, mm-hmm. and I, I felt that I got more from being a nanny than those kids ever got from me. Which that's now, now, what's <laughs> the
0: difference between – Being a babysitter Uh and being a nanny. Oh,
1: good question. Well, the world today, sixty-four percent of families in America have a nanny or a caretaker. I mean, listen, think about that. Sixty-four percent is a lot, right? Mm -hmm. And so everybody has this idea that nannies are, you know, Upper East Side of New York and you know, they're not raising their kids. And Mm -hmm. that's not what it is today. You know, redefining nanny is so important. And to me, a nanny or a babysitter or caretaker, it's really a, a blanket phrase for just anyone taking care of your child in your absence. So when I say Mm -hmm. nanny, I could be talking about maybe someone that lives in your home or an au pair, or I'm talking about a grandparent that's helping, Mm. you know, during the day, you know, raise your kids, but it's anyone who's there in the absence of their parent. Okay, that's a good question. Wow, that's
0: good. 64%. 64
1: And it's rising in line with the employment rate. So I always say this is not a trend. This is part of our culture mm-hmm. today. And, you know, we're, you know, it's Super Tuesday today, so we're seeing all, you know, the politics and what they're talking about on their platforms. And a lot of the common denominator that you see, you know, Republican or Democrat, doesn't matter. They're talking about child care and the mm-hmm. child care crisis. And that's a big part of what I'm trying to not fix because I don't think I can fix it but help alleviate yes and how do you alleviate the child care crisis it's looking and seeing what's going on in our world today and that statistic of 64% completely indicates what's going on in terms of the child care crisis that people need help raising their kids and families are built differently today but that doesn't necessarily matter Mm -hmm. all that matters is that unification of knowing that you don't have to do it alone and you can ask for help okay now, that's a good there, there's comment. a
0: there's a cultural thing that's in my head right
1: mm-hmm. now because
0: um, I'm African American. If you hadn't figured that out,
2: <laughs> what are you gonna drop now? What are you no, gonna, I'm drop? gonna say? You know, and I know Daniel's
0: I'm sitting there going, "I'm the I'm the other bald one, actually." I'm chomping, I'm chomping at the bit where this is going, man. I'm ready. I
2: know. Well, <laughs> I
0: mean, but from a cultural standpoint, I don't know hardly any African Americans that have someone living in their house that's given the baton to be able to dictate how the kids are being raised.
1: Mm. I would say that it's it's not just in the African American culture. It's t- today. It's it's not that someone's living in your house taking care of your mm-hmm. children in place of you. Uh, it's this idea of a village. I always go back to these yeah. three prongs of you need you need to build a village, you need to ask for help, and you need to let love in. So when you're talking about culturally what happens, I mean, look at me being Italian growing up. My grandparents lived with us. My mom's parents, who's who's here today? Yeah. Uh, she, My mom's uh, in the house. Yeah, in the house. (laughs) Watching everything I say, she'll have notes for me later and be like, "Don't ever say that again." (laughs) Uh, But so, I mean, my her parents lived with us growing up. I mean, I shared a bed with my grandmother for many years, and they were the loves of my life. They taught me probably the best qualities. I could have ever learned in order to be a nanny from mm. taking care of my grandparents. But that being said, my mom never had a nanny okay. in our house. I had I was raised by my mom Your and family. my grandparents. Okay, yes. so yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm starting to get it now because
0: right. mm-hmm. inside of my home even growing up, when mom was working, oftentimes mm-hmm. my aunt would be living in the house uh, sometimes it would be a yeah. my uncle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So an uncle could be a nanny.
1: Of course. Okay. So so I yeah, it. I like of that, course. and it's, it's that's yeah.
2: how I'm growing up the same way too. We didn't. I didn't have my grandparents living here. That my had grandparents in Italy and in the Philippines. But with our kids, um, you know, my parents help. You know, my older brother and sister. We help when we can. Right. And right. it's but I know culturally it's it does it was very much that if you could keep it inside the family, that was key. Like right. to have to go outside, that right. was almost like oh. We had, um, right, yeah. you
3: know? we, had, we had the Irish nanny, um, which was the big wood soup spoon. And my, mother, <laughs> my, and my mother would say, Get your ass up in that room and don't come back down. That, and if you come back down, you got the wood spoon. That's it
1: so, that, and that's a that's not a bad tactic, Daniel. You know, I mean <laughs> that definitely puts the fear in you. I don't I don't ever got the this my Nana would have never taken the spoon to us, even though, you know, that was something that was threatened it was never necessarily (laughs) something they would do uh but you know this idea like you said of redefining what a nanny Mm -hmm. is today that's exactly what it is it's looking at your village and who's in it that you're including Mm -hmm. but not everybody's as lucky as we were to have a village of grandparents and aunts and uncles and all these people Mm -hmm. so what about these people that don't have family How do they grow their village? And they kind of have to make their own family. So that's a big part of also what I talk about with parents about how you ask for that help, because that's not oftentimes a very easy ask.
0: See, I I totally get it because Mm -hmm. growing up uh, where I grew up, the difference between then and now, and I believe this is for all of us, Mm -hmm. is that the lady down the street Mm -hmm. played a big role in how we were raised.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. I mean, there's people on my street growing up Mm -hmm. that would spank you. If they saw you out of line.
1: Oh really? <laughs> oh yeah, oh, man. <laughs> Dang yeah. That's... Because
0: it was a village. Yeah. yeah. And you know we could run around, and the kids had a great time. We were mm-hmm. outside, yeah. and now I hear my daughters saying all the time, "Daddy, I wish we could run around the way you talk about how you oh. guys used to run around."
1: Yeah. It's, a di- it's different today, isn't it? Yeah, you know, raising for sure. children, uh, I think technology plays into mm-hmm. it. There's a lot of differences. I always say you kind of have to find that way to have old school meet new school yeah. and that balance seems to be difficult. Balance seems to be difficult across many different arenas in mm-hmm. life, but especially with childcare today, because I think when you grow up, my mom had a really good phrase. She said, take what we did right as parents and use it. Mm-hmm. Take what we did wrong and lose it. And, it, you know, it depends on what you felt was beneficial for you, but often times we see us you kind of going to the extreme of you know kind of the polar opposites it's you know I hated what happened in my childhood in this way so now I'm going to go totally extreme on the other end and right then how does that affect your children you know if you could have a more balanced approach to taking the things that worked and didn't work and being more cognizant of kind of yeah. weighing the pros and cons of that I think it would be helpful but we we swing on this pendulum so in such an extreme way that I think we see the the consequences of that more so today. Yeah,
2: I mean, and do you see? So you were talking about redefining mm-hmm. nanny. It's almost like, do you think that it
1: had a kind of a negative connotation before? Not even negative, I would say, Barbara. Mm-hmm. Just kind of uh, un an uneducated uneducated. Definition attached to it. Yeah. Uh, you know, like Nanny Diaries, Scarlett Johansson, remember that movie, Mr. and Mrs. X? She was a nanny on the Upper East Side. Oh. And it was one of those movies where everyone was like, oh, this is what's happening. This right. is what's happening in society. No one's raising their children, and this is only for the rich and famous, and all of that. And you know, it would drive me crazy because yeah. I'm like, that's not happening in small town town Iowa. That's mm-hmm. not it. But mm-hmm. someone's helping those kids, someone's helping that family. So yeah. it was it kind of like just like this moment with me where I was like, we really need to redefine this because it's not helping anyone they think it's just a bougie term for you know someone that's right. raising your kids and it's not it it needs to be more applicable to what's actually going on like the temperature of society mm-hmm. so that's really what I've, I've made a big platform is trying to figure out how to identify who those people are in your life to help you raise your right kids.
0: okay well I, mm-hmm. I got some questions i, I want to dig i want to go deep here okay um you're being someone who would be invited into someone else's house Mm -hmm. and they're trusting that you're working with their kid. Mm -hmm. Do you have training in your past that helps you from a psychological standpoint Mm -hmm. or is it a gift that was just it's just innate as part of who you are and you have these words of wisdom where you build the trust with the parents Mm -hmm. and then you have this ability Mm -hmm. to (coughs) convey information to the kids to get them to do things that sometimes the parents can't do And then, of course, you're teaching the parents. I want to go there Mm. because so many parents could benefit from getting wisdom from someone who has the skill set to help them be a better parent and to help. You know show them how they can get their kids mm-hmm. to do things that is very difficult to do sometimes
1: well thank you i love that question i think it's it's multifaceted so you know kind of working through it uh I, I, I i'll start with the funny part of it i was not like a classically trained nanny i didn't like go to nanny school i was a performance theater major in college so I, that's not a child psychologist <laughs> go, you know bradley. I mean? <laughs> go, go bradley go bradley yeah. that's right go bradley so i mean i did that and so it, i never like went to school thinking i needed to make sure i had this child childhood emphasis in my education Mm. because I knew what I was at that time I was already nannying I nannied for all my college professors when I was away at school so I I kind of had that that kind of full experience already as a nanny going on at the time but when I was studying, I didn't think that that was necessarily something I was going to focus on. So, my love for children obviously started at a young age, but I never felt that I needed to go and get additional education other than CPR training or skills like that. That mm-hmm. you know, because infant CPR is different than toddler CPR. Yes. So, I wanted to make sure that I was I was you know well educated in that way. Um, but what I found when entering to the into these families and being with them for many years that. Trust was a big word that needed to be understood by all parties. I always Mm -hmm. talk about the trifecta, the parents, the nanny, and the children. Mm -hmm. And this trifecta really needs to be uh, worked on constantly. There needs to be open communication. In order to make that trifecta work, there's a lot of different variables. And so when I went into the family, I knew I needed the trust of the parents. I needed the trust of the children. But it got a little little a little hairy sometimes because the children would come to me and trust me about things that they necessarily wouldn't trust their parents Mm -hmm. about right Mm -hmm. so like to your point Robert you're seeing a different part of their world and you're seeing stuff that the parents don't see sometimes and I can Mm -hmm. give you an example there was one uh, little girl that uh, was my nanny kid and we were doing homework at the at the kitchen table one night, and she excused herself and went upstairs to the bathroom. And she was gone just a little too long. But mm. something was tugging at me to go up there and see her. So I went upstairs and I listened at the bathroom door and I could hear her making her being sick. Uh, how old was so she? She was only about, oh gosh, nine at the time, eight or nine oh, wow. at the time. Uh, and so I asked if I could come in I came in and she's just her face is all Mm. blotchy and red she's been crying and she said I just can't do it anymore Florence Ann I can't do it it's too much pressure it's too much pressure and basically what happened was her parents had put so much pressure on her academically that she just like couldn't take it Mm. anymore and I of course was so upset, but I wanted to try to calm her down, so we laid on the bathroom floor, and she started opening up to me about how she felt that she wasn't good enough, and she she didn't know what to do, and she was a smart kid. I mean, this is a straight-A student, so I left that night, and I didn't say anything to the parents. And later I thought, okay, you have to confront them. But how do you confront them and also keep the trust of the child? Right. And so I decided to go to them and say, listen, I want to work work on this with you. What can we do to solve this problem? Never attack them. Never wanted them to be on the defense. Just say that I, wanted, I saw what was going on and mm-hmm. I just wanted to make sure they were aware. And I was there to help them figure it out they were very nice about it said thank you for telling us we didn't realize so it worked out where I kept her trust and was able to do things with her Mm -hmm. to help build her self-esteem and help Mm -hmm. build her confidence and the parents were able to start um, like loosening the reins a little bit and Mm -hmm. showing her that they were proud of her and that she was doing a good job so that was probably one of the most moving experiences I ever had as a nanny because I was probably only 16 at the time this happened and I was young I mean I didn't know necessarily how to handle such a uh, a traumatic situation but then i'll fast forward years later mm-hmm. i saw her at a wedding my little nanny kid she ran up to me with tears in her eyes and said you're still the voice in my head all these years later she nice. remembers. and wow. um, so these moments that you think maybe don't affect them they really mm-hmm. do have a lot of effect, and they have a yeah. lot of impression, yeah. and that's why I always say that this job as a nanny is—it's not just a job; it mm-hmm. is really an honor. It's a privilege to be let into someone's life that way in the most vulnerable of situations. Well,
3: it's it can—it so cool. can, it can be amazingly uh, influential. I know that my brother Billy's wife, um, uh, China, her parents were both very, very famous um, uh, singers from the band, the Mamas and the Papas. And um, China. right on until it didn't even speak English really until she was like five, she mm-hmm. spoke Spanish was her first language. I mean, so, I mean, as deep as that's how much involvement mm-hmm. that their Spanish speaking nanny had with them in Southern California, she didn't even speak wow. English. It wasn't her first language. Wow. You know, that, and- that's that's pretty That's pretty influential.
1: That is yeah. pretty influential. I mean, to still, you know, see what she was able to accomplish as a nanny from an emotional standpoint, mm-hmm. which I think that work is so important. Clearly, um, those children felt loved and protected For and sure. secure. That's and that's a huge part of being a nanny is making them feel that way. Yeah, mm. yeah.
0: it's like, it's like hey, I, the, I, I, What's that, Daniel?
3: Can I ask a question?
0: Yes.
1: <laughs> yes.
3: I want to know more about your work at the Lurie's Children's Hospital.
1: Oh, that's, I love that question, Danielle. It's one of my favorite philanthropic things that I'm involved in. Mm -hmm. So almost, it's four years ago now, I joined the board of the Children's Research Fund at Lori Children's Hospital. And Lori is a big children's hospital in Chicago, nationally known, Mm -hmm. Um, and they have a lot of different divisions and different boards. But um, Mm -hmm. our board uh, does all the fundraising for the research that's done at the hospital. So we'll raise money to I basically say make the miracles possible. Uh, And we learn so much about what they're trying to do in terms of helping, you know, cure things or alleviate things, whatever it might be that is ailing children today. Um, Lori is doing such amazing things in terms of medicine. But one of the most important things about being on that board, Daniel, is the idea that we really have to be in service of others in and, and, mm-hmm. and so many different ways in life. And children have always been important to me, and I always wanted to figure out how to best serve them if I can't be a nanny anymore, like in direct contact with kids. What can I do to help make their life better in the years to come? And what's mm-hmm. your legacy after you're long gone? Uh, that's why being on a board like this is so important to me, Daniel, because it's, it, it's work that's going to be done, For years and years to come and that you know that eventually maybe decades from now you were part of the reason, you know, all these kids are going to get to live or um, that there's going to be, we're going to wipe out some sort of genetic disease or whatever it might Mm -hmm. be. And so to see these doctors and researchers come to Chicago to start these clinics to take on cancer and other diseases that when you see these children suffering and these families Mm -hmm. suffering, you just cannot believe how lucky you are. So it definitely puts life yeah. in perspective. So it's about the so legacy you, for me.
3: Your, your, uh, your work uh, is so well documented in, in the field of autism. Does that cross over into what you do at the Children's Hospital as well?
1: It's a great question. So my brother uh, has autism. He's 17 mm-hmm. months younger than I am. He's the sweetest boy in the whole wide world. And mm-hmm. so I had started a junior board. Uh, this was years ago when I first kind of started my own kind of philanthropic uh, work uh, f- to for autism awareness. Yeah. Uh, and then when I joined Lori, uh, they did start talking about how a lot of researchers had been brought um, to work in kind of the wellness sector of Lori. And now we're actually launching a new institute where they're going to be focusing on community health and autism falls underneath that Uh, so that's going to be very interesting to see play out Um, Lori has one institute already the Stanley Manny uh, and now this will be the second that they have and uh, it's going to be cross-pollinating a lot of really important work so I'm excited to see uh, what they're going to do in terms of autism I've seen a lot of lectures thus far from different researchers Mm -hmm. and it's been pretty compelling uh, to see because it the the statistic is staggering about how many children with autism are born today Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's one in nine you can correct do you see everybody uh, it's, uh, so it's, it's, you know, I mean, it's unbelievable. I'm sorry, Daniel. What did you say? Pardon? I'm
3: saying, can you see my? Can you see the
1: monitor?
0: I, no,
3: uh, can't.
1: no, I can't. I can't. I can't see the no, monitor. No, can, we can't. We
3: can't <laughs> see you, okay, Daniel. But well, so you can hear Atticus. Say hi to everybody. Hey.
1: Is that hey. Atticus? Atticus. This?
3: Atticus. I'm gonna have to. I'm live on a podcast
1: introducing. <laughs> Atticus. Hi, Atticus.
3: Well, hello, (laughs) hi there. (laughs) That was my son Atticus, who was born July thirteenth. He was due October uh, twenty-first back in nineteen ninety-four, and he is. uh, I'm well versed in what you deal with with your brother. My son Atticus is on the spectrum, and um, Mm -hmm. I have done a tremendous amount of work with Holly, Pete, and. Different people that I've been involved with on, on the West Coast, and have raised a son who's autistic.
1: Yeah. Well, Daniel, what they always say that to know one autistic child is to know one autistic child. Wouldn't you have to agree with that? That they're all so different in terms of what makes them special yeah. and all of like that. Sure. Um, yes. I mean, growing up, there's there's actually video footage of this. My my mm-hmm. brother, again, only 17 months younger than yeah. I am. I was doing an alphabet puzzle, and I'm like struggling, not totally sure where the letters go. My poor mother, probably terrified <laughs> and freaked out that I did not know how to do the alphabet by that point. And my brother walks in the frame of the you know video, and he's taking the letters out, and he's doing them out of order. Knowing knows the letters out of order. I could not have done that to save right. my life wow. at that time. And when they would go to the pediatrician, the doctor, my mom would be like, "Well, he's not talking too much, you know. You, you know, we don't know, you know, kind of what's going on before his right. diagnosis." The pediatrician looked at my mom and goes, "Well, it looks like this one's doing a lot of talking. Does, does your son have any? <laughs> does your son have any time to even talk right. around?" So I mean, but uh, you know, so you never, well, you never know. Sorry, Daniel. I
3: knew, I knew at the <laughs> Vons market at Sunset and PCH. You know the place I'm talking by Gladstones. Yes. Well, I'm in that market, and when my son would say, Dad, I need to tell that man something, or I need to tell that. I didn't argue anymore after this one time. I was There was a woman in front of me checking out, and then us and a couple behind us, and the couple behind us were probably about 45 years old, and they were doing that, arguing in the store, so you couldn't try to make it, you not be able to tell they are arguing in the store, and she went, <laughs> Tom, you know, Tom, please, I don't. You know he's like he's abrupting his words and he's trying to and and truncating things but very loud and and, you know and finally he went she went and she started to well up a little bit and my son pulled on my pant leg he was four and he said dad i need to speak to that man and i said well atticus do you really think that's a good idea he seems a little upset he goes no dad i need to speak to him right now and i went okay bud And he walked over and the man had his back because he was still berating his wife. And Atticus pulled on his pant leg and he looked down and he said, excuse me, sir, do you want to be happy? And the man looked at him and the color left his face. And he said, yes, son, I want to be happy. And he looked at the woman and he said, do you want to be happy? And she exploded into tears. And he wrapped his arms around her. He put his ear on her tummy. He hugged her. He stepped back. He took both their hands to make them hold each other's hands. And he said, well, then you should be happy. And and that's when I realized that although there were some things that through medical science or social judgment, they may have seen my son as being different in a negative way. But the evolution of that boy from, from a higher level spirituality wise has been unsurpassed by any other human being I've known in my life.
1: Daniel, wow. you're cheering me up I over know. here. I have goosebumps. I mean, clearly Atticus, you know, just that emotional intelligence, you know, the EQ everyone talks about, yeah. that sensitivity he that he has towards understanding the energy that other people are giving, uh, that's that's very special. I mean, that that he's that tuned in. I mean, my my brother, when he was little, when my dad would get mad. Uh, My dad's forehead would wrinkle, and my brother (laughs) would go up to him and try to smooth (laughs) out his forehead because he wanted (laughs) going to not be mad. Don't be mad. You know, I should have tried that a couple of times to make him him not mad at me. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, he. My my brother was very, very like mo- a lot of children with autism are. They're very sensitive to anyone being unhappy, especially mm. worried that they're unhappy with them. Um, but what your son did, uh, Danielle, is so moving. I will not forget that story. That I think that's a great lesson for all of us to to kind of treat people right. with that sort of you know yeah. delicate touch. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah.
2: yeah. So nice.
1: you're the old. You're the oldest. I'm of, the oldest of four. Of oldest of four. Yes. So you,
2: just kind of naturally you were kind of a caretaker I'm I'm assuming
1: oh I I was the leader of the pack I needed to keep everyone in line tell them what to do (laughs) I still do it now I mean if anything needs to be done they're like oh Florence Ann will make that reservation or Florence Ann will buy those gifts and I'm like you know what's going on here but you know you do learn to lead from I think a young age but it's not just being the oldest I think it also comes from kind of an innate part of you. I think, uh, uh, we're not much different than we were when we were younger. If you were to watch videotapes at me at five, I'm pretty much the same person. At 34. <laughs> so, um, you know, but I, I think leading is, uh, Something leadership, at least in general, is something I've learned a lot about as I've gotten older and Mm -hmm. and businesses and things like that. Um, But I think I probably learned about leadership through my time as a nanny because Mm -hmm. you they do look up to you to teach them, guide them, whatever it might be. Uh, So it does bring you to a different kind of moment of reflection about what leadership can be. Because, you know, we look at like kind of corporate America and what it used to mean to be a CEO and stuff. And you're tough and you're, you know, you don't show any emotion or any of that. And I think Mm -hmm. as a nanny, you felt like you were leading, but you were leading with a lot of heart and a lot of... uh, uh, emotional investment in people. Uh, so it I think it's, it, it changed how I feel, but I also see how it's permeating society and how leadership is changing Mm -hmm. with people and how they guide and lead. So I, I think that's pretty cool to see the, you know, that, that shift in society about how we affect change. Yeah.
0: You know, the more Mm -hmm. you talk, so in my background, I've been a martial artist since I was five years old. And I'm around like the ultimate fighting type right. people. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of boxers I work with, you know, Steve was part of that journey and watched me do the work that I've done in that space. But I look at you right now and I'm picking up this energy that you're the referee.
1: I like that.
0: So stay with me on this. Because yeah. I come with a cute ass, because Cause <laughs> I'm
1: in. <laughs> when you, That's when right. you
0: watch boxing, the referee is not there to be the, the limelight. Mm-hmm. When you watch a boxing match or an ultimate fighting championship, oftentimes you don't even realize the referee's there. Mm -hmm. And that's a good referee. Mm -hmm. And so I'm thinking of you going into someone's home. You're the referee Mm because you got the kids and you've talked a little bit about that. But I would like to hear some of your thoughts or experience as it pertains to some of the positives Mm -hmm. you've done for the parents. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because my gut is telling me that when you're in the home, that if there's a couple, their relationship probably gets better Mm -hmm. because you're there um they watch how you work with their kids and it inspires them to become better at how they communicate Mm -hmm. I just feel like you set the foundation Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. oftentimes in a lot of families is broken Mm -hmm. um and so I just wanted to hear your thoughts on that because I know Daniel in the back of his mind he's like you know (laughs) I am a single guy by the way yeah and I've told him I may get a nanny he's like dude you can't just get a nanny because you want to date him (laughs) (laughs) No, don't get me
3: oh. started. You're you you, yeah, well, waiting like
2: ten <laughs> minutes to drop that, right? You yeah, just you right, were waiting right. this whole time. Robert's got, waiting
1: for me to approve it. He's <laughs> like, yeah, if the nanny tells me it's
3: all You notice Robert, you notice that Robert had to throw out to a national audience? <laughs> right I know
1: because he's fishing, we're, man. We've we embarrassed him. He's getting I know he's oh, ready. He on us. We've embarrassed him. He you knows he's stepped you, a line here. Um,
3: are, you, are you the referee or are you the coach?
1: Well, oh gosh, this is a, like, for a girl that was bad at sports, It's a lot of sports. <laughs> I was asked to quit track and field. My mom can attest to that. They were like, she's not, she's probably not meant for this. And she should also quit gymnastics and ballet and swimming and all those other things. You're like, on me the damn coach. Yeah, I'll find something else that I can do. Thank you very That's much. It's an
3: interesting, it's an interesting <laughs> identification. Robert thought yeah. that he yeah. sees you as a referee. As a referee. It's
1: coach. It is, I, is, see,
3: it, I see you as the coach. More of a coach.
1: I think it's very interesting. I think I probably have a split personality in that way I think depending <laughs> on the home I go into. It's funny you bring this up. So I, <clears throat> last year I launched a YouTube series called the Windy City Nanny mm-hmm. and I go into 12 different homes mm-hmm. different families across Chicago and see what's going on in their childcare mm-hmm. situation and we dealt with so many different themes whether it was a mom who has MS and she had not really talked to her son yet about what oh. it was like to parent with a chronic illness uh, to another. mom uh, who really needed to learn self-care because she had lost her identity to motherhood and she Mm -hmm. didn't really know who she was anymore. And a father who was a widower, two young children, and wanted to be super dad and was having Mm -hmm. a really hard time letting people in to help. So we went through a lot of different... Uh, categories of child care and what the consequences are of not having a village or not letting love <laughs> in or not asking for help and so when I would go into these homes Robert I would probably and to your point Daniel really feel more like um, a coach because I would sit down with them on a couch and I would talk to them about what they were going through mm-hmm. but the work that I did with them I felt I always wanted it to be much deeper um, I always loved Joe Frost she you know did you know she was the first Kind of person to put you know nanny nannies and child care, um, you know, on TV mm-hmm. all those years ago, and um, she was talking about the disciplinary, the dis- disciplining children. And when I wanted to launch this YouTube series, I really wanted it to be more again about that trifecta about parents and nannies and children and what was going on in the child care crisis today and how do you actually help parents figure out those three prongs that I yeah. always mention. So I wanted it to be deeper when I was sitting on the couch with those moms or those dads or whoever it was, I wanted to get to the soul of the matter, the heart of the matter and get them to really open about what was, what were they really struggling with and why were they having a hard time making decisions or asking for people to help them. Mm. And I always go back to Mary Poppins, the original Mary Poppins movie, even though Emily Blunt did a wonderful job <laughs> in, in, in the revamp of that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, The Mary Poppins was there to help the father. Mm -hmm. And I always think of my work as a nanny about the parents just as much as it is about the children, Mm -hmm. if not more, because I am there to help make all the puzzle pieces work. So in that way, Daniel, I do feel like a coach where – I'm helping parents kind of step outside of themselves sometimes and look at the situation with new Mm -hmm. eyes. Sometimes you're too close to it. It's too emotional. Mm -hmm. They're your kids, and you need someone to come in and help kind of sort through those problems. Um, I would say that a lot of what I have found in my work, especially today with so many people having nannies there's a lot of guilt oh my gosh was, the guilt yeah. mm-hmm. right and you I guys to are talking about parents, that right mm-hmm. so and this might be i was going to ask I was
3: gonna ask that i was going to ask yeah. what are they you know i have members of my own family i don't have to mm-hmm. name names but you know i said to one of them recently i go have you ever changed the diaper do you even know what that's like <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, and, yeah. And you know what the answer probably was not not in the last 10 years No, you know like yeah. i don't it, and so are there inherent, I would imagine for me, my fear, because I'm in a place now with an apartment over my garage. Robert's been to my home. And I said, man, you know, with travel and the stuff that Robert and I are working on with Barbara and, and other endeavors that I'm doing, I really could use a live-in nanny. I could, because uh, if they were used to that person more, uh, uh, you know, I would, I would be able to leave a little more freely and not be that worried about the coverage for my kids. But I see inherent dangers in in doing that. I have other family members and friends that, you know, I don't think they're engaged the way I engage with my children. I think the Mm -hmm. kids are missing out with the connection.
1: Well, I always tell people that, you know, a nanny is not there to replace you as a parent. I still expect parenting. That is always part of a kind of mm-hmm. my my rule becoming mm-hmm. a nanny. When you sit down and you talk to that nanny and you're interviewing them for mm-hmm. the first time, that's something that I expect parents if they believe that value. Maybe right. They don't. But I believe that they should say, I'm not hiring you to be a replacement of me. I am hiring you to be an extension of me. The right. eyes, the ears, the heart and the nanny themselves should stand up in the situation and say, I I will not work for right. a family. So have you had to do was, that? We refuse people. I've never had to put my foot <laughs> down and say I'm not replacing you as a parent. Mm-hmm. But I have seen it happen, and I also knew that when interviewing to work for families, I was not going to work for a family that yeah. expected me to do that. It's not part of my value system. I yeah. didn't want that responsibility. I, you know, but if it was a family for example, that's out there that this is what the parents are going to do, they need a nanny that's going to step in there and replace them as a parent in some sort of big way, then then I am so happy that there are nannies out there that are willing to do that really hard work. Mm-hmm. I'm just not the nanny for that. because I, I have an issue value wise being able to get on board with that because mm-hmm. I really do expect parenting at the end of the day right. as well. And it, it'd be a team effort. So there's the sports analogy again yeah. going back to whether <laughs> exactly. I'm a coach so, or a referee. Yeah. But you just you to know, you have there's your no team. Yes, exactly. So but, I'm gonna you know, try you know. I'm, I'm gonna try
3: to be quiet after this question, but I just need to I need an answer so I can satisfy something that I have gone on between <laughs> Is Robert asking the nannies that could potentially work for him for pictures in a bikini inappropriate or not? <laughs> if you can find a, if you
1: can find a nanny that's willing to do that, I want her number. Yeah, I'd like to talk said. to her about that because remember the, all those nannies out there listening. Anyone is that nanny's there to take care of your children, not to take care right of you. Bird. That's right. So, I'm, right I'm, I'm
2: going
0: to be rotating nannies, so right. you know, <laughs> it's, it's not good. a dating <laughs> service, Robert. I know. Have
1: She's it, like, I hey, got, hey. I, I know. But you know what? Now you bring up a good point, Danielle. About that, though. This this is always the number one question I get. Can is you it? hire a hot nanny? Oh. Yes, brother, Can you hire a hot nanny? That's what everyone always <laughs> says to me. And of course... Of course, you could hire a hot nanny. You don't need to sleep with that nanny. Hell, that's yeah! That's not right. what you're supposed to be. Yeah, Robert.
0: It's turned on me. <laughs> I, know. It's, it's, uh, I should uh, have Jack never uh, said
2: it.
1: Uh, uh, I know. He's like, get the fire off of me. I know. But, I mean, the tr- thats the truth—is you can hire a hot nanny. And I'll tell you what—not that I think <laughs> at all that I fall in that category—but I had a small experience with this when I—the last nanny family you're that I was hot. with. Oh, you're very sweet. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but it's—I was. I came into the living room and my employer the woman was there with her friends okay. and I came in to get the baby and I was like hi everyone hi 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 so I took the baby and I go in the kitchen and I hear my my employer's friend say to her oh my gosh <laughs> she's your nanny yeah. you would have let her alone with your husband and so the employer God bless her. Looks at her and goes, "Oh, please. She wants nothing to do with my husband." <laughs> and so I and I'm in the kitchen cracking up, but you know, I understand why this yeah. question exists because you look at all the magazines and they sensationalize it. They're yes. like, "Oh, someone you know, you know, cheated with their nanny. They cheated with their nanny. They cheated with their nanny." Yeah. So now America thinks, "Oh, this is what happens everywhere. Everyone's cheating with their nanny." And yeah. that's not the truth and it drives me absolutely insane because it gives nannies such a bad reputation. Mm-hmm. And then you feel, oh, it's not a trustworthy situation, mm. and and nanny really should be one of the best uh, hires you make, or you know, assets to your family if you're doing it correctly and for the right reasons. But I feel that's why again we're redefining what nanny for sure. is because we've sensationalized it in a way that is so negative. Well, you yeah, you, I know. you set the, mm-hmm.
0: you set things up pretty well in the very beginning when you said trust. Mm-hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and then you just mentioned something that made me think of Kobe Bryant, Mm -hmm. uh, Shaq at the, one of the, the, the celebration of Kobe's Mm -hmm. life, Mm -hmm. uh, Shaq shared this, this uh, moment he had with, uh, Kobe when, Mm. you know, the team was playing and Kobe would never pass the ball. And so all the teammates (laughs) went over to Shaq and says, Hey man, can you tell Kobe to start passing? And so Shaq goes over to Kobe Bryant and says, Hey man, you know, can you start passing? And he talked about you know this, this is a team and there's no there's no I in it, <laughs> and uh, Kobe basically said yeah there's no I but there's an M and an E.
2: You <laughs> <laughs> said something else though. What? How ended though there's an M E.
0: Yeah there was, a, there was I took out the curse word. Yeah yeah. <laughs> but bringing up Kobe, I would love your perspective if you mm-hmm. were a nanny in a home mm-hmm. and the family's a big Laker fan, mm-hmm. and you have this horrible thing to happen to these nine people mm-hmm. and with kobe Bryant being the the, the girl dad that he was mm-hmm. um how what what advice could you give to help nurture the young kids who are dealing with this because i mean it, it really affected me yeah. and i don't even watch basketball i know but it was the fact that i'm a dad of mm-hmm. two daughters mm-hmm. and you know i know daniel and i we've had many conversations about this i mean i know <laughs> it affected oh you. yeah people have i mean i've met people right. people are still hurting for yeah. sure yeah. What 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 could you share that could help some of these people mm-hmm. like, be better parents for their kids going through it as well yeah. as themselves? I
1: I I think that loss is loss. No matter what the situation is, you know, I even when I lost my grandparents, you feel like a part of you breaks because it's someone that you love so dearly. But then you add a level of tragedy to it of devastation you know when your grandparents die they're older and you expect maybe that you know that's what's going to happen but what happened with Kobe and his daughter and all those other people that's unexpected and it's when something is shocking and you feel that someone has been stolen from you right that's how death feels often Mm -hmm. that they are taken from you stolen their life cut short uh I always say that you kind of have to learn to live with a broken heart. And that's not that you don't laugh or love again or anything or live again. Mm-hmm. But you, there's a part of you that's cracked that never is totally repaired. But I also think there's beauty in the breakdown with that. With that crack within you, there is more, there's a better chance for you to develop sympathy and empathy and all of these amazing things that maybe you would not have felt if you had not gone through an experience like that. So not to put a positive spin on it at all, but I think when you are talking to children about loss in whatever way it is, they are going to process that loss very differently. But I think the option that you have at that time is how you are moving through grief in whatever stages they are, as slowly as you're going through it or as intensely or aggressively as you're going through it, there's an opportunity for learning there with your Mm -hmm. children about how do you handle situations that make you feel out of control where do Mm -hmm. you find the control when you feel that way and how can you teach children that by feeling all of these feelings you are going to be a better friend a Mm -hmm. better partner a better mother husband whatever it is later in life because you've had the experience of dealing with great loss that opens you up to like a different level of yourself so not to talk too much like on a spiritual level but i think the idea robert of having an open conversation about feelings with your children and letting them see you vulnerable as well Mm -hmm. is very important because you don't want kids to think that it's not okay to feel or to emote something and they also are looking at you to guide them through it but they also want to know that you yourself are human and that you yourself feel Mm -hmm. and that if you can do that then you give them permission to do it as well so it's a really (coughs) it's a horrible thing a horrible lesson that is being learned but it's also a beautiful bonding moment for you and the children whether it's the parents or the nannies that are helping as well be able to work through something that is greater than than mm. us i'm sitting yeah. here i'm listening I'm, li-
0: I'm listening to your words i'm like who, where do you come from like <laughs> You're like reincarnated, like uh, <laughs> Doctor Laura, two lives ago.
2: Yeah, she's got it. exactly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, 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 that's great.
1: I love that. It's copy like wisdom. There. Oh gosh. And well, I,
2: you're, you're speaking about like the just the feelings because I have a 15 year old son, and even though, you know, thank goodness we haven't had to experience loss like that, mm-hmm. but you know, as a teenager and dealing with emotions, mm-hmm. and then trying to, as a mom trying mm-hmm. to keep that open communication and that trust level, I mean, that's going to be challenging, especially to keep those...
1: Those lines open. I mean, is there what kind well, beer, of advice would you tough age, give? Age though, fifteen yeah. is a tough age for that. I think no matter yeah. what, but I think it starts in the sandbox. I always say a lot of what goes on with parenting. You know, I, I it's funny. I'm not a parent myself. I get this mm-hmm. question a lot. I have no children, mm-hmm. and then of course I get like you know the haters are like, why I'm are sure. you telling me what I should do with my kids? if <laughs> you don't have any kids? And I'm like, okay. Do you know how many families I meet? They've never changed a diaper before, and their parents for the first time. And yep. You know, I'm mm-hmm. like, so I think I know maybe a thing, l- thing, or, thing two. or two about it Uh, but you know at that age at 15 I know I can tell by your energy and Mm -hmm. your spirit and all of that that you were a beautifully loving mom and generous soul from the very beginning but I feel at least with my own children I would want to start that like I said in the sandbox Mm -hmm. about making sure they knew I was a soft place to land right I always say that and my mom was always that for me growing up. That mm. I knew that no matter what my question was, that she would listen with an open heart mm. and a non-judgmental mind. Even if her face kind of spoke differently <laughs> about it, you could yes. tell she was. Th- her face said one thing, but she was like, "I'm gonna." Was she holding the wooden spoon? No, <laughs> no wooden spoon that she was holding, but a face that was like, eh, "This isn't totally this yes. the of tea. But I, again, a soft place to land is important, and I think children need to understand that. Uh, that they can learn from you, they can mm-hmm. feel protected by you, uh, and. I think that's what opens up the communication. That's what opens up the trust is knowing that no matter what happens to me in my life, there's someone I can go to or people I can go to that will help me. And my mom Mm -hmm. would always say, it doesn't mean you're not going to be in trouble. doesn't mean there's not going to be punishment or whatever it is. Now, that alone could be enough for a a reason why a child wouldn't want to come to you because, like, I don't want to get punished. I don't want to be in trouble. So I would say that it's not necessarily about saying that, you know, doesn't mean that there aren't consequences that are going to come. It's Mm -hmm. at a young age knowing that the child can have questions. And I think that was something that my dad didn't do as well as my mom did. My dad never really wanted us to question anything. It was his way. It was what he said. It was Mm -hmm. what he believed in. And my mom was much more open-minded. But I grew up between both those those mindsets. So it kind of, you get a little lost in that as a child thinking, well, my mom says one thing, but my dad says one thing. So going back to how do you navigate that trust and transparency, Mm -hmm. it is about being on the same page with your spouse or whomever, because you do want to operate your home in a way that has a certain dynamic. And I felt very safe with my mom, but didn't feel safe emotionally with my dad,
0: but your mom and dad Mm -hmm. were in the same house, right? Yes. My
1: parents are divorced now just recently, but Mm -hmm. I grew up in the same, uh, same house with both my parents, but even Mm -hmm. in the same house, they they were very different parents, and that's why also having my grandparents, that was an interesting layer, because It was my nana, papa, and my mom that were very unified. And my dad was kind of the outlier Mm -hmm. in terms of it. So I learned a lot growing up in that household. And you say I feel like an old soul. I feel like I've had a lot of life experience that has ranged from, you know, emotional problems, you know, dealing with parents as a child, and then also seeing the Mm -hmm. positive side of things. So um, I went on a little bit of a tangent there. But I think it it really does start when you're younger Mm -hmm. about how you are operating.
3: Did they call you
1: Flo? Daniel they did call me Flo and I, I knew they called me Flo they did. and I hated it so much that I there's still people in my life that still call me Flo that are exempt from calling me you but now, are yeah. not
3: I'm going to reintroduce you to why you are Flo oh, think gosh. about what you just think about what you just said about the family dynamic and being on the scene. <laughs> Listen, you want it all to flow, baby. Yeah.
1: You do want it all to flow. Except it just reminds me of Flow on the progressive commercials. And she's hysterical. But yeah. I'm always like, I don't, you know, I just could never wrap my head around it's, it. And I mean, okay, I got a, I got almost, a almost, Almost good yes. at Babs. Okay,
0: and just so you guys know, we have about 15 minutes. Oh, my
1: okay. gosh. I talked way too much. I got no, a hard quick. Okay. It's okay. Okay. <laughs> Yes. Okay,
3: so you made it's so funny because I wordpressed about this subject this morning. Cause it came to me. I had a conversation last night with God about it. And, and and what and when I have my conversations with God, I'm talking about when I pray. And so um you said something about well, no, I, not that I want to get spiritual. So um A, why did you say that? And B, you know, if I'm inviting someone in my home to raise my children, how important is it that they do have a similar or the same belief system that I do? They're a great influence on my children. So uh, and, and, and the last little addendum to that is, do you subscribe to a certain faith? And if you're comfortable with it, what is that?
1: Sure, I I love all these questions. Uh, So um, I was raised uh, Catholic. Um, I still would consider myself Catholic, but um, I probably am what my father referred to when I was growing up a cafeteria Catholic because (laughs) I pick and choose, I guess, different things that I participate in. But spirituality has been very important to me and Mm. honestly has influenced my life greatly. I just never, Daniel, was a person that talked a lot about religion or spirituality growing up because my dad was ultra catholic very very religious and he it it made me uncomfortable how much he talked about it in such kind of a fire and brimstone way uh-huh. that I never mm-hmm. wanted to be like that so i started to be more quiet about it and 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 my faith journey cuz i think we're on a journey about our faith Forever Mm -hmm. and it's always evolving. Um, So as I started tapping into what religion meant to me, what God meant to me, what intuition and all different things meant to me, I realized, okay, I kind of, I kind of made it work for myself. And I think that's my advice too to people: is you kind of have to find what honestly. You know, revs up your soul, and what keeps you grounded. And as long as you believe in something bigger than yourself, I feel like you're you're serving a good purpose in this world. But again, not to get too preachy. And the reason why I say said that Daniel about not getting too spiritual was because. Um, you know, I never as a nanny wanted to impose my views on a family, uh, <clears throat> though, to answer that third part of your question, Daniel, I do believe it is very important to vet a nanny based on values. So yeah. that's where I feel we're getting into trouble as a society that you see this revolving door of nannies, nannies, nannies. Why is no one working out? Well, mm-hmm. I feel it's because they're not there you have to know thyself right you always have to think inwardly what's important to me in terms of values and daniel every time i would say values to people they'd be like oh you know i don't talk about religion and you know i have my beliefs and you have yours and stuff i'm like yeah values doesn't mean that in this situation i'm saying you know what do you believe in terms of discipline you know what do you believe in terms of education Mm -hmm. um so yes you do need to vet from a place of values and i do think religion does have a place in the conversation because you have to think about the nanny that's coming into your home are they going to be Required to take your child to church or are they going to be right. doing any sort of <clears throat> religious education with them? If that's important praying, to you, you right? Know, if mm-hmm. that's a if praying, mm-hmm. that's an important part of your family, then you want to have maybe an extension of that in your home. Or maybe you want your kids to have a d- taste of a different culture, a different religions. So you have someone that's outside of right. that. Um, there's a lot of different ways to skin a cat, as they say. But um, I do think it's important to have religion and spirituality as part of the conversation if it's important in your home. That mm-hmm. That's my bottom line. Okay. Yeah.
0: Well, there's two things that I need to bring up. Mm-hmm. And then after that, these guys can ask all the questions they want.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we got a
0: good 12 minutes to, to do this. <clears throat> and so we're with a company called Stay Healthy. Mm-hmm. And the name of this show is the Stay Healthy Experience. And so we're very aware of a lot of the problems that are taking place around people who don't have health. Mm-hmm. And my first question, and I just want you to, whatever comes to mind, mm-hmm. I would love to hear your thoughts on it, is... We know that kids today, in the next 10 years, will be the, like, the challenges they're having with obesity is on an incline in a bigger way Mm -hmm. than it was 10 years ago, 20, 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And part of that has to do with screen time. Mm -hmm. I want your thoughts on both screen time and the challenges that we have with getting our kids to be healthy. And mm-hmm. what advice would you have for parents? And what have you seen based on being in people's homes? Because mm-hmm. I'm sure you've seen some of the challenges around that.
1: Mm-hmm. So Let's start with the technology aspect of it. I will never be someone that condemns technology. I think technology is great. It's giving us, you know, a way to do this podcast today, right? right? Technology, you know, grows and moves, and it's it's wonderful. But again, going back to this idea of balance, I feel like everyone has a really hard time living in the in between. And uh, when it comes to technology, you know, we are telling our kids to. Get off those screens, and we're like, you know, you can't be addicted, and you have to go outside and play. But then we as adults are totally addicted to our technology, <laughs> doing the same thing, I mean, right? I mean, so it's like, you know, do what I say, not as I do, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And so, I feel like uh, for parents, and I have to take this advice myself too, is you kind of have to show them what you're talking about. And I have a friend who's a working mom, unbelievable working mom. And when she gets home from work, she puts the phone away in a drawer, and she's with those kids during dinner, and she gives them the full attention. And even if she She's going to go work later she's in the moment and I think people today again these these polar extremes I'm not saying don't use technology at all or you know be on it 24 7 I'm saying find how it can fit into your family and this goes into the obesity issue too Uh, you if at home you know that you're gonna have family dinner and maybe it's only 15 minutes but you're Mm -hmm. gonna be off those phones and you're gonna connect and whatever it is then great that's something you're doing for your family that is a stepping stone to help you find that balance Mm -hmm. are we ever gonna be you know all disconnected from technology in a way that we feel is completely 100% healthy No, that's not going to happen. I feel like, you know, technology is only going to get better and more addictive. Uh, So we have to find ways that make it work into the flow of your family where you do the old school meets new school, making sure you're present in the moment, making sure you're connecting with your kids uh, all of that, you know, I've, I've seen, you know, parents at the park where their kid will be playing and they'll scream out, mommy, mommy, look at me. And and they're on their phone and they're not looking. And I've heard kids say to their, you know, well, mom's always on her phone or, you know, mommy, if if you just look at me, you know, just like, look at me for one minute, one minute. And then you can go back on your phone and you think to yourself, Mm, what is that child ingesting? You know, what's their impression of you in that moment? So that's so sad, but linked to the obesity issue, like you said. Mm -hmm. I think this idea idea of keeping kids active, it was something we did much more often growing up, and we were outside all the time playing. Um, But I also think today, and maybe this is getting too deep, I I see more often people talking about the emotional issues attached to eating. And I Mm -hmm. think a lot of the time parents are putting their own issues they have with food or nutrition onto their children, and it leads to an unhealthy lifestyle for them. Not all the time, but you said, Robert, what's my first instinct? And I'd say that's what's pulling at me right now, is seeing kind of the outside looking in, that there are outside forces that are affecting children today Mm -hmm. and not not enough education about what it actually means to be healthy. Technology also is a place that we look for influencers, right? We've got people out there telling us what it means to be skinny, what it means to be pretty and kids are digesting this information so much today and at such a rapid rate and their being imp- their impression of all of this is beyond measurable at this point. So it's not just what you're saying to them as the Mm. parent or the nanny about how to be healthy. It's Mm -hmm. what they're seeing out there visually as a representation of what is healthy or what is beautiful. So it's a bigger issue that we need to fix, I think, in terms of how our children are digesting role models and influencers and things like that. I think that will also help us with the obesity conversation because I think that People think they can never live up to whatever that standard is, and so they go the opposite. Mm, like it's way. unrealistic, right? Exactly, mm-hmm. and so that's that's my first impression. Okay, well, there's that's some great. there's some
0: really good nuggets there, mm-hmm. and so the part two of that, and then I'm gonna, <clears throat> I want Daniel to, to share something with you that I I actually admire that he does, mm-hmm. and I'm attempting to implement it,
1: you know, which is really
0: <laughs> challenging, which will make sense when I explain it. But the first part of that is, what tips can you give? people who want to get a nanny mm-hmm. when it comes to screen time mm-hmm. and where where this is coming from is when i would have a sitter come in and they would watch the kids and the sitter was amazing mm-hmm. sitter came across great everything checked out and then i would talk to my kids and they go yeah she did sit on her phone the whole time <laughs> oh, she's just texting the whole time
1: That's probably they liked her yeah they, were getting, <laughs> the, they got to do whatever they wanted load. to do well actually they didn't
0: because <laughs> no. they wanted to interact with oh, her they well, wanted to play go. dolls yeah. you know okay. and all those things and so yeah. i was like is that... Oh. So what do you recommend for people? I mean, the yeah. obvious thing I'm thinking is, you know, you interview them. Right. Because we have to ha- set boundaries also right. for the nanny. Mm-hmm right
1: right so talk
0: on that for a second well
1: you, my first i haven't ask you a question do you have do you have face? or not facetime screen time rules in your house already i do
0: but that's where because i like daniel's mm-hmm. rules uh-huh.
3: yeah. Ooh, you better I'm ask somebody gonna, i'm giving him a compliment this is oh, not no. good. <laughs> hold on to You're it hold on
0: this I'm house actually,
3: is the, this house is a dictatorship and it's not a democracy
0: <laughs> no i mean it's good i like i like daniel's rules oh, which he'll explain it. and I. Uh, because it feels right to me the way he has it set up and so you know my my ex-wife and I are both really working hard to figure out how to make that work mm-hmm. and so I'm borrowing from his constitution yeah. if you will <laughs> and making that part of our constitution in my house as well as their mom's house right. um so can you can you just share I wanna that hear with me i was supposed to answer your question so yeah. I I have loose rules okay um but my biggest rule, because as a nutritionist and someone who specializes in getting kids healthier and families healthier, mm-hmm. I understand that they're looking at me and that kids will do more of what they see than what you tell them. Right. Yeah. And so I have my own personal challenges with my screen. Right. Because it's my business. Right. Right. I mean that thing is with me everywhere I go. So mm-hmm. one of the things that I did recently was whenever I go use the restroom, take a shower, or anything like that, I don't take my phone in the shower, which <laughs> I used to
2: in the shower. Not in the shower, but oh. in the bathroom. Oh, okay. Like it had to
0: always be within an arm's reach of oh. me.
2: Uh-huh.
0: And uh now I don't and I do little things where they can see that I left it. Okay. You know what I mean? Like yeah, I want them same. to know that it doesn't go with me everywhere right. I go. Like we right. don't do it when we All eat. Right, so now Daniel, yeah. can you explain and share what you did? Yeah, I want to hear yes, this.
2: Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm very You touched cool.
3: on, you touched on um on the thing about, you know, parents and not interacting with their children because of phones, Now I'll go to a restaurant. And I look at things that don't resonate well. And when they don't resonate, well, that means there's something wrong with them for me. So um, the children get off the bus on Friday, Uh, one gets off at 330. The other one gets off at 430, in which they are allowed to walk into the kitchen and take their phone out of the drawer and they get it until Sunday before dinner, it has to go back on the drawer. They do not see, touch a television, see a telephone or anything the entire school week, ever.
2: Wow, wow, uh, wow, okay, that's it.
3: The time that they have the phone very valuable to them. It also makes, uh, a, as a motivational tool, I would, when I things happen that I have to say, did you do your homework? Because I'm ve- we have very much a whiteboard in the kitchen, mm-hmm. there's no gray area. You come home you have a snack you do your homework you go upstairs you put your stuff away that's been washed and folded for you by Mir, and then you can come back down we're going to have dinner and we'll have some family time but no tv no phone no matter what um uh, i i've had to say the following thing and and, and with a, a daughter in junior high school now this was tough she came to me just last week and she said you know i think it really hurt my feelings when you told me that you're not my friend and i said Avis, I'm your father. I said, and I am friendly with you. And hopefully when you grow up to be an adult, we'll be really, really good friends. But please make no mistake about it. I want you to have input in the things and the decisions that are made in this house. But at the end of the day, I have the last word and I will make the tough decisions for you because that's my job as my Mm -hmm. father. So when I say to you, when you're talking to me, like I'm one of your seventh grade friends, and I have to remind you, I am not your friend. Right. I'm your yep. father. Right. So if I have to look at the difference between some of my friends that are more friendly with their kids and their kids mm-hmm. don't listen to one thing that they say, mm-hmm. and I have to look at my role as their father, I prefer to be on the side I am now. And so one of the things I would give my good friend who I love very much in, in Robert um, and, and, and remember, too, he's gotten away with it because he's got really good kids. He's got really good kids. But you make the rules, man. You make the rules. So you don't have to ask your children anything. You can ask what they think about it. Right. You can ask what they want. But you are the father, and you make that decision. So if you're going for a popularity contest, that's different. I'm not going to win that. <laughs> yeah, but
2: me if either. you're going
3: for... You know, uh, um, communication overall, and 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 uh, and, and listen, Robert's eating at my house. My kids set the table, I make the food, they clean every single thing up, they join hands and pray. I don't have to cue them on anything. That's the drill and the way it goes in my house. So,
1: you
3: know, it's I uh, it. I it's a choice.
1: You, it is a choice, and I give you credit, Daniel, because that's how you run your home. You're very in touch with what your values are as a person and how you want to raise your children and what the values of your home are. And that's mm-hmm. always what I go back to is, you know, I'm as a nanny, I was not there to impose, again, my beliefs or my values on them. I was right. there to be an extension of hopefully what are similar values. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think what you know, in terms of screen time, what you're doing, I give you so much credit for that because, <laughs> man, that has got to be hard to yeah. uphold. Um, you know, I, I, I mean, that, I mean, <laughs> wow. I, even even for a second, I, I was like, he's going to take away my phone. <laughs> I need my phone. So, you know, I imagine, like, what happens when I have kids one day? What will I do? And I remember our very good family friends of ours told us that none of her kids through high school were ever allowed to have their phone in their room at night. They would always have yeah. to hand in their yeah. phone before they went to sleep. You two did, and I thought that was smart. And I said, you know what? I think I like that because hmm. nothing really very good happens after a certain hour right. on your phone. Uh, yeah. And you know, so I think that was that was smart. And and her kids hated it. She, of course, they I'm hated sure. it. But you know, again, children this it's for protection a lot of for the sure. time it's for protection mm-hmm. and parents out there that are scared of technology and the internet and what's there you should be scared and can i tell you that you know you could put every parent block on that on that computer anything like that and nothing's going to happen i absolutely can't give you that guarantee right? i can probably tell you i guarantee you something they'll be exposed to something you're not going to like because oh, that's yeah. just the way it is today mm-hmm. um but again it goes back to instead of tips necessarily about how to limit your technology because I could say lock it up at night or they don't have it during the week like you said Danielle mm-hmm. uh, Daniel, or things like that um, I could I think it's more so explaining to kids why a decision is being made For them. That was one thing that my dad didn't really do, but my mom did. Mm -hmm. Or my dad was like, This is just the way it is at our house. And my mom was like, I'm doing this because. She gave you a reason. Right. There were the reasons. And kids still don't have to like it, but it helps you as the child understand mm-hmm. where they're coming from again it's about lessons for them to use later as they get older and they develop relationships of their own mm-hmm. and they have they're at work or whatever it is and they have to learn to critically think about something or how to look at you know different facets of a situation you're going to you're helping them in that moment understand What were the things that were considered to come to this conclusion? So Mm -hmm. for me, it's never about one thing, right? It's never about just, you know, rules, you know, tips for technology, or it's just about keeping them safe or just about that. It's usually a very layered reason for why you're educating them about something. And so that's my advice with technology is figure Mm -hmm. out what's right for your home. But then also remember what you're supposed to be teaching in those moments about self-esteem and confidence and respecting your body and respecting others and being sympathetic All these different things about Mm. the influences that exist out there and how your child is going to interact and respond to those influences. That's what's more compelling to me. And it starts with something as simple as give me your phone.
2: Yeah. All
0: right, Barbara, you got a
2: question I do. I want, because we talked about it a little bit, the whole guilt factor. Mm -hmm. So I want to go back to that because I know as a mom, as a single mom, and I know dads have dad guilt too. But I'm sure you probably hear this a lot about the whole mom guilt thing. Mm -hmm. So I have this story. It was when I, I spent close to 20 years in corporate America. And I remember one of my good friends, she was married. and um, But we were struggling with the fact that we were both commuting. We had at least an hour commute each way. Mm-hmm. We, you know, She had two girls. I had my son. Mm-hmm. And we were always struggling with the fact that you know we were these you know, successful corporate women, loved our jobs, but loved being with our kids yeah. and felt like we were missing out too. Mm-hmm. And I remember we were going through our whole merit You know, process and the guy he didn't handle it with a a lot of sensitivity. But um, they were talking about her raise, and somehow it came up. He made a comment like, "You know, well, do you need a do you need a nanny? You know, do you need some more money so you can get a nanny?" Basically, so that she could be at work more. And we were talking about it, and we were so offended. And I think it was because in our minds, our heart, we're thinking we want to be able to do it all. Right. It was you feel guilty, feeling like, "Gosh, I actually need help." So, for example, in my family, I was the first of the three children that I actually had to get after school childcare mm-hmm. for my son. Mm-hmm. It was really hard for me mm-hmm. to do that. And so how would you, I mean, maybe, I don't know, reassure or like tell women like how to deal with that guilt. Cause it's hard. It's real. It's yeah. real.
1: And you know, it's it's not even just guilt, it's the mom shaming that comes with it. That right? too. It's mom almost mom like what well, you mean things. you
2: can't yes. you can't get back for the school play. Right. You just work, you know, an hour away, like figure it out. Exactly. Yeah.
1: it's it's the idea also too, the moms that go to work and the moms that stay home. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you would think that this would be a community of, you mm-hmm. know, lifting each other up and they're mm-hmm. like you know why are you going to have kids if you're not going to raise them or you know whatever mm-hmm. the case is and you know again being a nanny you're there to support the family whatever their dynamic is whatever their structure is but mm-hmm. in terms of guilt um I always say, think of the things that your children will write in your cards one day Mm -hmm. uh, when the kids are younger, you know, about the type of parent that you are. And I have friends who are working mommies and daddies or some of them stay home, whatever they are. But the one common denominator between all of these children who are beautiful, wonderful, being raised to be exceptional human being, you know, beings, Mm -hmm. they're their common denominator is knowing that they're loved. And mm-hmm. so it's this idea of quantity versus quality. And that's mm-hmm. always what I go back to with moms is if the quality of time you spent with your child, spend with your children is real and tangible mm-hmm. and and present then you are doing so much good in that situation right. that doesn't help you take away the guilt necessarily, but shows you that you're capable of having a life outside of being a mom, too. Right. Mm-hmm. And you can do all of these things well. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you're going to miss out on things. I know yeah. I tell moms that all the time you can't be there for everything, you can't see everything. Mm-hmm. But these kids who have these working mamas, and one day I, you know, having children would like to be that same working mom who will probably have a nanny. Yeah. Um, I would want my children to be raised knowing that they can do anything they want in life Mm -hmm. and they can have different chapters of their life, whatever it is. So you have to look at it from a larger... A larger picture of what are you teaching your children in that moment? Your son probably looks at you and thinks, I'm so proud of my mom for working as hard as she does, but Mm -hmm. then she loves me so hard too. Mm -hmm. Like that might not be something he articulates to you right now because he's 15. So he's not going to really (laughs) do it. But I mean, I think that if that feeling is there, I know my friends who they work and their kids, I see how they worship them Mm -hmm. and they don't feel that they're slighted in any way that mom or dad isn't there because the amount of time that they do spend with them, mm-hmm. they are connected. So that's my my advice to parents is being present in whatever those moments are that you're present and not feeling guilty yeah. that motherhood or fatherhood maybe isn't enough. I know that's hard to say out loud, mm-hmm. but there are parents that have to work and parents that choose to work, right? True. And. If you choose to work because it makes you a more fulfilled person, you are going to be a better mother or a better father or a better friend because that's, again, you are important. Fulfilling you, that is important as well because that is a ripple effect and affects everything you do Mm -hmm. in your life. So that guilt I can't take away from you, but perspective I can give you. Yeah, that's great.
2: I love it. All right,
0: there you go, you guys. Thank you, Daniel, for being here as always and Ms. Barbara. Thank you. uh, Lawrence.
2: Thank you. I know. It's so awesome.
0: We've made it possible. Everyone has all of your contact information so they can reach out to you. Uh, And before I say goodbye to those who are tuning in, uh, do you consult, can, can someone call you from anywhere in the world and to consult.
1: They sure can. They could just go on my website, send me an email, and I'm happy to help in any way I can. Or you can find me all over social media, Windy City Nanny. So I'm here. I had them. more questions. <laughs> well, you know, what? we'll have to do a
0: part two, Daniel. <laughs> About are, hot nannies. About yeah.
1: hot nannies, yeah. yeah. there you go.
3: Nannies okay. going wild. <laughs> I want you to contemplate this. Yes. The You mentioned 64% as a yes. number you quoted earlier on a different topic, and that happens to be the actual projected percentage of the divorce rate in this country between the years 2020 and 2030 they projected the divorce rate will reach 64 percent in the united states with that said and the cliffhanger that we will be able to print up later when i put it in the form of an email and post it on this show what is the role of a nanny in a household that goes through a divorce
0: Stay like, tuned. Oh, <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, well, you okay, got it. Yeah. As always, you guys, uh, let's uh, get healthy, be healthy and stay, stay healthy. healthy. Hello, everyone. This is Robert Ferguson, and thank you for watching our show. Now, be sure to like subscribe and click on the bell so that you are notified whenever we upload new shows. Again, thank you for watching.